Good morning, Outlook family. It's good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here with me in the room or we're together online. I'm just glad we're together, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you like putting up Christmas decorations? Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty fun thing to do. I see a lot of hands out there. I like putting up Christmas decorations too, but I learned something about myself this weekend. Uh, Christmas went a little long for us thanks to COVID and some, you know, delayed family gatherings. So we didn't take our Christmas decorations down until this weekend. Uh, some of you are like, what? I didn't think that happened until March. But, you know, that's a whole other story. But I learned something about myself this weekend, and that is as much as I like putting up Christmas decorations, I really like taking them down. Like, that's even more fun to me somehow. And I'm thinking to myself, is, that, is something wrong with me at this point, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, joy. Let's put all that in a box and, oh, I'm glad that's over, right? Like, what does that really say about me? I hope it doesn't say any of that. I don't think it does. But, but uh, anyone like taking Christmas decorations down just as much or more than you like putting them up? I see, I see that hand. All right, there's a couple of us. All right, we'll have a support group for us later. Learning, uh, learning about ourselves uh, is, can be a fun thing to do. It's certainly an enlightening thing to do. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this current iteration of our Live Free series. Uh, in these Live Free sermon series, we've been exploring the intersection between our mental and emotional health and our spiritual well-being and discipleship to Jesus and how much overlap there really is there and why that can be worth paying some attention to. And in this current version of the series, or this current focus that we're looking at this month, we've likened ourselves to a tree uh, as an illustration, uh, an analogy used often in the scriptures, uh, that we are a lot like a tree in this regard. That the fruit of our behaviors and our outcomes hang on the branches of our decisions and our choices, which are driven by the our character in our living, kind of like the trunk of the tree, and all of this is fed and formed by our root system, the root system of our soul. And so we've been reminding ourselves how important it is to pay attention to that root system, which could be described briefly and kind of succinctly as the patterns, the pains, and the people that have and are forming our living, this root system that we have, each of us, in our own souls. And so last week we took a pretty in-depth look at and introduced this concept with the idea that our past is actually quite present. We began exploring this last week. Today we're specifically going to look at an aspect of this, that our families have formed us. Our families have formed us. Rich Volotis writes in his book, The Deeply Formed Life. The battles we all face are not new. They often have been the battles of our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. All of us have inherited positive legacies as well as negative ones. He writes that they have a saying in their church, Jesus lives in your heart. But grandma and grandpa live in your bones, for good or for not so good. Whether it's learning things like the healthy management of finances, or the love of art, or a great sense of humor. These things can be modeled and passed down. Or it's workaholism, or conflict avoidance, or chronic infidelity. 
people in our families lay down patterns, some of which we end up repeating to our own pain. Volotis observes a little later on that same page in the book, as we know the patterns from one generation to another, we position ourselves for a shift in our self-understanding. And so it's that self-understanding that we're exploring here, and we can't go very far in that without touching on what we're looking at today. This idea, God, show me my root system. I want to understand myself better. And Lord, I know, thanks, you know, I'm so thankful I can have a relationship with you through Christ. I know that you see everything about me. And in fact, you see my whole history. You see all the traumas and decisions and all the forks in the road and all the things that people have chosen or endured that have led to and influenced who I am today. You see all of that crystal clearly. And so, Lord, show me what I need to see in my own root system, that shift in our self-understanding. And so we're going to make three observations this morning. They're really pretty self-evident, but I hope they'll provide good handles for us as we explore this pretty deep and complicated topic in just a handful of minutes. So let's get started with this first observation. We come from a family. We come from a family. Again, that's pretty self-evident, but let's, let's explore what that actually means for us. And I want to start by going all the way back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a scene here in which God is giving his law to his people. You could really define God's law as his prescription of how to live in reality, his uh, how to live in God's reality. That's, that's really his law. He's describing now in the passage I'm going to read here a persistent aspect of that reality. In Exodus 34, God makes an observation about how human life works. He says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. Now what's happening here? This, this deserves a, little mo- a couple of moments here to unpack it. God has delivered his law, his prescription about how to live wisely and well in his his reality here on earth. And he's saying here, be warned, you ignore this prescription, this law, You, you, uh, you turn away from that and your sin, your choices will affect others deeply. I stand ready to forgive, he says. That's what I love to do. But, but be ready for the consequences of your rejection of that law. It will create patterns and leave ripples that will affect lives, sometimes for generations to come. Now, this phrase right here, this verb, I lay the sins. The old King James calls it, I visit the iniquity. Which, that's a pretty good translation, actually. Uh, a good one... Uh, a good way to look at this would be that God is making the statement, and it could easily be translated this way, I observe the consequences. That I lay, meaning I'm allowing the sins of your, that when you turn away from, from me and my law, the consequences of those will get laid upon your children and even your grandchildren, and I don't stop 
that. I see those consequences. I observe them. I let those things happen. And if no one comes in to break the pattern and begin to choose my law again, your decisions will affect other people. It's a warning to pay attention to your own integrity and actions and how that will affect other people. So God is saying, I allow this to happen. This is the way life works. But so in one sense, and especially as we read how the Old Testament describes God's decisions, in one sense, what God allows, he does. But it also, we also know that what he allows does not mean it's what he wills. For instance, elsewhere in the law, not very far from this at all, we read in the law that parents are not to be punished for the sins of their children, and children are not to be punished for the sins of their parents. So we know that that's God's prescribed will. What he's describing, describing here is what happens when we turn away from him and the effect it can have in our families. And this shows up in the families whose stories are told throughout these Jewish scriptures. Bad decisions modeled and replicated, sin patterns taught and imprinted. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Absalom, Solomon, on and on and on. We read all kinds of stories of sibling rivalry and lying and envy and infidelity and idolatry and on and on. Thank goodness the Bible is a book that doesn't, it's not a set of morality tales of perfect people making all right decisions, right? That, that just tell us, oh, live just like them. The Bible is full of stories of real people wrestling with God, um, the push and pull of His grace and their rebellion and how they, their repentance brings them back to Him. And we can see ourselves in those stories and even in those families. So this is something that's absolutely true. Dysfunctional family systems are all over the place in the Scriptures. They're nothing new. And we know in our own experience, broken family systems matter in our formation. So do healthy family systems, too, for that matter, of course. Adult children of alcoholics, for instance. There's tons of studies and science that show that anyone who has gone through the trauma of being raised by one or two alcoholic parents, those folks will have commonalities among themselves that are unlike any commonalities they have with other people. That, that there's a very unique set of experiences there that create a whole very unique set of uh, problems, challenges, situations in people's lives. That's been deeply studied. That's just one example. This whole idea of our family of origin having an influence on who we are isn't something born solely of modern psychology or the latest fad or invention, but it is attested to in the scriptures and described matter-of-factly. And it affects us in all kinds of ways, right? For some, this might even be self-evident. Pardon me just a second. We've probably all heard stories or we had a parent or a grandparent or someone in our family tree who grew up during the Depression, for instance, right? We all might hear a story and we know uh, quite easily and obviously that those who grew up during the Depression will come out of that experience uh, often with a real uh, vigilant frugality, right? You know, a real sense that the bottom could fall out again at any point and then being very careful about their possessions and about managing things and 
you know, reusing that aluminum foil 15 times and all that kind of stuff, right? Because you, you save and you, you react in that way. But what can happen, and this has also been studied, right, that that anxiety, that, that financial anxiety, that material anxiety can get passed on to other generations who aren't actually experiencing the same situation as what uh, grandma or grandpa felt in the Great Depression. And yet they also, but they carry with them that level of anxiety regarding material finances, stuff like that, and driven many times by that anxiety and that fear. My own grandmother, I think of her, she went through a, a lot in her early life. She lost her mother at a young age. Her dad lost a lot in a bad business deal. She had two brothers, one drowned in the city pool on a busy day with a lot of people around. Another was hit by a train. So by the time she had my dad and, and my uncle, uh, she was someone who had learned a lot of life lessons and being thoughtful and careful and assessing risk. Those were things that, that, that's the way she saw the world, right? And that makes total sense when you think about what she experienced. And so that kind of worldview in some ways can get passed down, the idea of paying attention and being careful and weighing risk carefully. All kinds of ways that this holds true in my life or in yours. Our families define what is normal. Habits, dependencies, worldview, etc. In some ways, you could almost flip our tree and see that root system and realize it's like a family tree. That as you picture a family tree, there's you and me in our reality today, but the pains and the patterns of the people in, in that family tree trickle down and influence us in different ways. The trials and the traumas, the dependencies, the habits, the beliefs of my parents and my parents' parents are all part of a narrative, a language, a worldview that is now what's normal and natural to me without my permission or really even my conscious participation. And this is true for all of us to one extent or another. Again, in all kinds of good ways and perhaps in some ways that are less than good as well and deserve some examination. Now, one thing I've found that when you enter into that kind of examination, and you do that under the light of Scripture, and you're doing that in the grace of Christ and, and with the Holy Spirit, you know, guidance and counsel. You can begin to approach these kinds of things, even the really difficult ones, with some grace and understanding. And you can begin to reach a conclusion, however imperfect, you won't always be able to hold on to this any, every single day, but you can begin to reach a conclusion that sounds something like this. I was born to flawed and fragile humans. And so were they. And so were they. And so were they. And we don't come to that conclusion as an excuse for abuse or trauma, but only as an entry point to finding our own peace and growth. Peter Scazzaro is a pastor and author in New York. He writes a lot about this kind of thing. And he has at one point developed what he calls the Ten Commandments passed down in every family. I think it's so good that it's worth taking a moment to share. He's saying that every family has a culture, kind of a way of looking at the world, and so every family has a, a message, basically, that, that they teach regarding these ten topics. You'll have, your, you'll have yours, and I'll have mine, and someone else will have theirs. But each of these is a subject that gets passed down to us in some way. For instance, let's just go through them real quick. Money. 
We may have been taught that money is the best source of security, so get as much of it as you can, or that your self-worth is tied to your net worth, so do the same, right? A message about money gets passed down in every family. Conflict should maybe, maybe it's something that should be avoided at all costs. Or maybe it's something, hey, you know what? Loud, constant fighting. That's normal. That's just the way we talk in our family. How about sex? Maybe it's something not to be spoken of. Or maybe even on the other end of the spectrum, promiscuity was normalized and there was a whole different way of looking at that or any number of other ways in between. Grief and loss. Maybe we were taught that sadness is weakness. Get over it and move on. Or perhaps on the other end, the idea that sadness is something that you give yourself to, and in fact, it might even end up controlling you, and you never really get out of grief, or you end up living in depression or uh, something like that, and it begins to just drive you in your life. Or how about expressing anger? Maybe it's dangerous and bad. Maybe it's exactly how you make a point. Or maybe your family taught you to use sarcasm instead, kind of turn it in on itself and go with silent contempt or snarky sarcasm instead. Or there's how you look at at your own family. Family first, no matter what. And definitely don't share any of our stuff with someone else. Keep the family secrets secret. Or relationships with other people. Maybe they can't be trusted. Or maybe other people, everything is a competition, so you'd better make sure you win. Attitudes toward other cultures could include anything from don't marry someone of another race or other races are just as wonderful as ours and we should embrace and learn from all races or any number of perspectives in between. Success can mean getting good grades and getting into the best schools. It could mean making a lot of money or at least looking like you do. Or success could be defined as getting married and having children. However your family, this is a big one, however your family defines success, chances are good for you and for me. We're evaluating ourselves according to that standard even today. What does success look like and am I achieving it or not? Feelings and emotions, certain ones maybe aren't allowed or maybe we grew up being told one way or another that ours were unimportant. When we think about these Ten Commandments and the fact that every family's got their answer to these ten items, and of course these are just ten, they're not the only ones, but they're big ones, it can explain a lot about marriage conflicts and misunderstandings, right? You bring your two tablets of Ten Commandments you got from your family into the marriage, and your spouse brings theirs, and then the both of you have to try to figure out how all this works together, right? That's no small thing. It also explains a lot about how each of us got to where we are and to who we are today. And so let me just offer a question we asked last week, but it's a great one to ask, and now's the moment to bring it back up. When we think about what we were taught in any of these areas, we can ask ourselves, when was the first time I heard or received that message? Do I still want to keep receiving and learning or believing that? And here's an even deeper one. The person who gave me that lesson, was that perhaps more about them than it was about me? So, we each come from a family. That's an important thing to really consider as we're asking God to show us what's true in ourselves. Second thing, we live with a family. 
So it's not just all the people who came before, but also the people who are currently still with us. You're like, Rob, hey, I get all that first stuff. Fine, I've heard that before and I, I totally understand it. But man, I'm still living with some of these people, right? There's past stuff, but there's also current family factors. And so I was drawn to Romans chapter 12 when it came to this subject. And so let me read it and then apply this to our family, current family situations. In Romans 12, we read, Never pay back evil for evil. Or evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace. With everyone. Let's break this down for just a moment and apply these three uh, commands, so to speak, to our family relationships. First, never pay back evil with more evil. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't family the one place where we're most tempted to do exactly that, right? I mean, my little brother punches me, guess what's happening next, right? I've learned that from, from a young age. This is, this is the way it works, right? Especially with family. We might be well-behaved with everyone else, but man, right? Gloves are off when it comes to family sometimes. At least that's the way we might feel. But as we're growing in Christ and as we're receiving his forgiveness and grace, we begin to realize this is not the way to live. Not with anyone, not with our family. So we begin to learn forgiveness instead of retribution. That we begin to pray instead of payback, right? This becomes something that we get better and better at. That we resolve, I will not add to the hurt, anger, abuse, dishonesty, denial, you name it, whatever you might call evil, you know, less than good in in a family system, in a relationship. I will not add to that, right? That's an important first step. I'm going to simply make sure I'm not making it worse, right? And I'm going to draw that line and hold myself to that. I will not add fuel to any fire. I won't pay back evil for evil. Second one, do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Not so that that, uh, everyone can say what an honorable person you are, right? But so that they can see an example of what that looks like. Someone has to begin to draw some lines and say, hey, this this is the right way to treat people. Right? This is the way to, to love. This is the way to engage in a mature way, in a conversation, a relationship, you name it. Disengage from unhealthy patterns and decide, I will do, no matter what anyone else chooses to do, I will do what I can to set a good example and maintain my integrity. This is a big one, too. In fact, I found it can be super challenging, but if, if we'll grow a lot if we, if we can do this with the Holy Spirit's help. And that is resolve that no matter how anyone else is acting around me, in my family especially in this case, no matter what others might think I deserve or, or what they deserve, and no one would blame you if you, you know, totally lost your cool or whatever. No matter what that is, I have to decide who am I going to be before the Lord When I look in the mirror, what kind of person am I going to be? Regardless of how anyone else is acting or treating me or what I would be justified to do or what they might seem to deserve, am I going to be the kind of person who says or does those things? And when we begin to kind of draw that line and say, you know what, I'm going to do things in such a way that is above, above reproach. You know, I, 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 won't find, I won't be found guilty of doing that thing. I might be tempted 
to do. I will not lose it. I will maintain my integrity. Each of these are, are important. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna stop the, the pattern, the system of evil for evil. I'm going to draw a line and says, this is who I am regardless of who, how anyone else is. And then finally it says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Another translation says, as far as it depends on you. I love this. We talked about this a little bit last fall. I love this because it acknowledges, look, you can only do so much and you can't do everything. And you cer- certainly can't ensure certain outcomes. But what you can do is resolve to do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Often that means drawing some boundaries and setting some rules of engagement with other people, what you will, what you will accept and what you'll find unacceptable for you, for your spouse, for your kids, from another family member. It means resolving, I will determine as best as I can what it will take, whatever it will take, to have a peaceful relationship with each person, whatever that may look like. And that you may not be able to discern that all by yourself. You might want some counsel on that as well. But listen, people will tell you and teach you about themselves and who they are. And we should believe them when they tell us and learn from them when they teach us. Now, that doesn't mean rejecting them. It it doesn't mean, pardon me, it doesn't mean you stop loving them. But it can mean right-sizing our expectations of them and our relationship with them. Now, there's something I haven't really touched on much yet, and I want to explain why. Trauma and abuse, which often come through family, are a deeper thing than what we have time to cover today, and in fact, we are going to cover it in two weeks. So as we talk about family, you may have some wounds that are super deep and some terrible things that perhaps have happened to you and have come to you through family members. And that may be a deeper conversation than than some of the stuff I'm I'm touching on today. And I just want to acknowledge that. But we will do our best to begin to look at that um, in two weeks. I say in two weeks because, just as a quick aside, next Sunday I've asked Josh to preach a farewell sermon to us. So we're taking a break from this series, and I want to ask you to make sure you don't miss next Sunday as Josh shares his last sermon with us as worship arts minister. So don't miss that. Now, everything we've talked about so far, I just want to make sure that we hear. None of this should be approached uh, casually or without counsel, especially the idea of drawing boundaries and dealing with relationships and putting distance. Don't just do that flippantly or, well, Rob said I could last week, right, on, on Sunday, and so I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to, you know, deal with you in this way or that way. These things should be approached carefully and prayerfully, always with the goal of grace and reconciliation and restoration one day, certainly thriving. We should want the best for others, even when they are in a a place that is hurtful and, and, and we need to create some distance. We have to make sure, we have to check our own motives and counter, make sure we're countering our need to be proven right or to exact revenge or to see just desserts or to put people in their place, right? Right, yes, yes. Those are good things to avoid. Look, if you've got challenges getting along with your family, you are far from alone. Even Jesus couldn't catch a break. In Mark chapter 6, he tells the crowd, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives 
in his own family. This is the Son of God we're talking about. And even his own relatives didn't always know what to do with him. And that leads me to my third and final point. We have a new family. In Mark chapter 3, we read about Jesus being in a house. It's getting crowded. Lots of people. um, And his family show up. His family heard what was happening, Mark says. And they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Talk about being misunderstood, right, by your family. He's, he's, he's lived out what he said about a prophet having no honor among their family. It says, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. They think he's insane. They're not sure what to do with him. They think maybe he's gone off the edge. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked around him and said, looked at those around him and said, look, These are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is is laying something out here for us to pay attention to. And that he says, there's your family, and then there's your family. Your church family, your spiritual family. That God has provided a broader family for us to thrive in, despite the challenges that our natural biological family may have provided to us. We have some um, arborvitae in our backyard, and we, we bought a couple, a, a couple of summers ago, we bought a couple more, and we, were, we, we had them planted, and they just didn't make it. I mean, they just, they, they turned brown, they didn't survive. We had someone come out and look at the soil, and we, we, what we discovered was we had planted them too close to the house where all the spoils from when the house was built were there, so they were in kind of some clay, it was bad soil, it didn't make a lot of sense. So we bought some new arborvitae, dug bigger holes, put in better soil, and now the ones we have there are thriving. Sometimes what you and I need is a transplant of the soil that we're in. You, you, uh, and we just need some serious adjustment in that area. Now, you may have been raised by devoted followers of Jesus, good soil, and you may be raising your own kids in just such good soil. That's all true and awesome. And so the church becomes this larger hole with, with really, really good soil, ideally. And that is either going to complement what you're already doing as a Christian parent, what you're already experiencing as a, as a child of Christians. Or it can, for those who have some, some, some family systems that have hurt more than helped, the church then comes in as a supplement family to... Um, uh, add to that in really good and healthy ways and replace some things in our faith and in our heart. What this tells us is Christians are not magically exempt from the realities and the harshness sometimes of being raised in human families, but we are miraculously equipped to overcome those realities. We're not destined to stay stuck in them. As we uh, come alive in Christ and grow in Him, we receive new courage We talked about fear last Sunday. We sang about it earlier, how we get to conquer that. Fear is a big thing that gets passed down in families. We get a new culture in the church family. We begin to learn despite what we might have learned in our home. We get a new set of commandments, so to speak. What's right? What's normal? What's good? How do we treat each other? How do we think of ourselves in the world? The scriptures in the family of God get to relearn. They reteach us all these things. We get to make new choices, what to keep, what to let go. Patterns can be broken. 1 John chapter 3 says, those who have been born into God's family 
do not make a practice of sinning. It doesn't mean they never sin again. It just means they don't make a practice of it. Those old patterns don't have to be maintained. They don't have to abide by them anymore. Why? Because God's life is in them. So friends, in conclusion, I've tried to cover a lot in a short amount of time. I totally understand that. I want to encourage you with just a couple last thoughts. Sit with this. Really sit with the things that we've started, just started to explore today. And sit with it before God and sit with others. Sit with trusted friends, sit with a pastor, sit with a therapist who knows the Lord. Begin to realize as you move through your day to day, oh, that's not just me. We might just think, oh, that's just who I am. That's just me. Man, it might be you and some of all y'all from the past, right? Some of the people in the patterns that have influenced you up to today. And I also want to just make sure everyone hears what we're talking about here. It's not about blame. If your children are facing some mental and emotional health challenges, it doesn't mean you've done wrong by them. If you are facing mental and emotional health challenges, it doesn't mean your parents are to blame. But in all of this, what it does mean is everyone ought to look at and not not ignore our family systems, our root systems in all those ways. We are not bound to repeat the past, but we can be prone to, especially without some prayerful self-examination and reflection. We come from a family. We live with a family. We also get a new family. And those families form us. And the beautiful news is that the Lord is transforming us. Amen? Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you that Gosh, centuries and millennia ago, you laid it out. Hey, you ignore my ways, it's going to have an effect. It's going to have an effect on you, and it's going to have an effect on your family. And that that should stop us in our tracks and really begin to think, man, we don't want to ignore you, Lord. We want to live for you. We want to learn from you. And we want that then, that wisdom and that love and that grace that we're learning, we want it to flow. So, Lord, help us to be exactly that, the the branch of our own family trees that begin to let that love flow. There is no wound you can't heal. There is no lesson you can't help us to relearn in your truth and wisdom. There is uh, no no trauma, no, no decision, no pattern that we've inherited or that's affected us that you can't then redeem and use for your good and for the good of others in your world. So Lord, we lay it all before you. We give it to you. We thank you that you are so very, very good at taking all that we give you and turning it into something new and good and beautiful. God, I thank you for everyone uh, online or here in the room or listening later or whatever, for every heart that's heard these words. I pray there won't be an ounce of condemnation, but instead uh, hope Instead, grace and love in each heart. Lord, we thank you that you're so good to us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.